podcast one production. G'day, welcome to Be A Man. Gus Wallen here and I've got Dr Happy as well. This one's all about grief. Um, one that obviously is a very tough one to talk about, but we've got a wonderful special guest coming up. But how are you this week, mate? Um, well, thanks, Gus. How about yourself? Mate, I can't complain. Now, grief is it's a tough one, isn't it? This is the one I've been sort of most concerned about or most worried about, I suppose, uh, in our first series of Be A Man. Oh, why is that? I just think it's, it's, it's one that I struggled with a lot myself when um, it took me nine years to talk about the grief around my friend Angus who took his own life. So when a communicator like myself who just talks about everything all the time, you know, shuts up literally and bottles everything up for such a long period of time, um, it's the one that I'm most passionate about but the one that I'm most concerned about because I don't think I'm still quite at the stage where it comes naturally to me. Yeah, well, I think you've summed up probably the main theme of today's episode, which is that grief, look, it's something we're all going to experience at some stage in our lives. Um, and it's not just about losing a loved one. I guess that's at the extreme end. But, you know, we all lose something even on a daily basis, I guess. I mean, we might be a loss of an opportunity or some sadness, you know, something didn't happen that we thought it would. And um, the inability to talk about that or express our emotions is where a lot of men fall short, particularly, and where we suffer excessively. So hopefully after today, we can find out ways to better deal with that particular emotion so we can uh, get on and live healthier, happier lives. Well, that's a really a little segue into Alex Rewald, who grew up in a family steeped in Australian rules football. Brother Nick is the longest serving St Kilda captain and a star player. Their sister Maddie, 26, suffered from a bone marrow failure called a plastic anemia, which claimed her life in February 2015. And we're very lucky to have Alex in the studio chatting to us this morning. Alex, tell us about Maddie. Wow, where to start? Um, <laughs> look, she was uh, she was better at sport than me. Um, <laughs> that's not saying much. Uh, look, she was uh, she was a little sister, um, and you know, obviously Nick's older than I am, um, and I'm the middle child, and Maddie's our younger sister. She was uh, she was great to have around. She was, um, you know, you do feel that sense of protection over a little sister as well, which obviously makes it a bit harder to bear. Um, but look, Maddie was as fun-loving as anyone you'll ever meet. She did everything. She got involved in everything. She never said no to anything. And she was a bit of a firecracker as well, to be completely honest. She played all sports. She played soccer, hockey, AFL until they kicked her out and told her she was too old to play. Um, <laughs> and as I said, she was better than most at, at most sports than I was as well, and even Nick. And that was part of the reason why it was so hard to obviously see her deteriorate because she's just gone from one person to another. Um, what age which, was that, Alex, that she first got uh, diagnosed? Um, so it was 2010. I remember I was living in the States at the time. So 2010, Maddie would have been 21. And it was an odd thing because obviously, as you mentioned at the start, Maddie was diagnosed with what's called aplastic anemia, which is a type of bone marrow failure syndrome. And not something I'd ever heard of before. And even now explaining it to people, it's not something that you commonly hear of. I uh, got a phone call from mum when I was living overseas just to say that Maddie had been to the doctor simply because she was waking up with bruises on her legs. That's from uh, obviously just platelets in the blood that aren't really existing. She was extremely tired all the time. 
And as brothers, we'd get into her and say, you're just being lazy or you need to get up and have a crack. And <laughs> so, yeah, you definitely regret saying those things now. Um, but she went into the doctor. Obviously, mum knew that it wasn't normal. Just from lying on her side, she'd wake up with bruises down one side of her body. So I uh, went in there and had the blood test done and then came back that she was diagnosed with aplastic anemia. And the first thing I did, obviously, naturally overseas is to jump on Wikipedia, which is I don't recommend to anyone <sighs> if you're going to self-diagnose anything, don't. Don't jump on the internet. Um, so obviously worst case scenarios on there, but I moved home and then over the next sort of five years, it was understanding what the disease is, understanding what the treatments are possible. Um, and it came down to the only real successful treatment available at the moment is a bone marrow transplant. So yeah, coming to grips with that and then eventually coming to grips with, hey, this is a pretty serious condition and, you know, at the moment, there's about 160 young Australians are diagnosed with bone marrow failure syndrome every year and about half of them actually don't make it. So it was coming to grips with that as well. And uh, long story short, she got the bone marrow transplant that she needed. She took to that, which is great, which is half the problem because your body can reject that. But then after the chemotherapy, her organs started to fail as well. So she took her about a year. She was the longest serving patient in Melbourne ICU at Royal Melbourne Hospital um, before she passed away. So... Yeah, it was a long process and it, and it was, look, an educational one, um, if anything, and, and sort of led us to where we are today in terms of trying to put some serious funds into research. One of the things I was just actually thinking as you were telling that story of Maddie is one of the other differences is not just that she died young, but that it was, I guess, over a fairly long period of time. How did she grieve? How did she respond to the news and then the treatment? Um, in her typical fashion, really, and... Look, I'm sure she would have been scared, but she was always very upbeat, and that was Maddie for you. Um, there was never really any acceptance that she'd do anything but recover, and that was across the whole family, I think. So, yeah, it obviously was even a surprise and a shock when Maddie did pass away, but, yeah, she never really um, never really gave up at all, and that's obviously the hashtag or the uh, motto of Maddie's foundation is fight like Maddie, and... Geez, that term gets thrown around a little bit as well, to be completely honest, in terms of, geez, they're a fighter. And, and you do hear it a lot. And I'd never seen it firsthand with anyone. Um, this is the first time I'd really lost someone close to me and, and in that sort of way. And she was extraordinary. I've got no doubt that I couldn't have been as strong as she was and as determined as she was to get better. As the doctor said, just huge applause to you for talking about it and thank you mm. for sharing that story because I'm sure how difficult it is no matter how many times you say it. Mm. So thank you, Alex. When, when it comes to grief and talking about grief, it's, it's difficult sometimes for people to talk to other people about grief because they don't quite know what to say. They don't want to put their foot in it. And especially such a public one with you guys, did you find that people didn't quite know how to breach yeah. the subject? Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, and to be honest, if I was in their shoes, you know, years earlier, I'd be the same way. The most important thing I found is uh, the one thing I didn't really um, like was was when people sort of avoid the topic altogether or avoid talking about it. It's not disrespectful in any sense, but I just found it a bit disrespectful to Maddie or I felt bad for Madeline. But um, obviously it's just them, you know, it's if they haven't dealt with grief or if they're around you and they don't know how to act, then I can completely understand that. But when people sort of didn't broach the question or didn't broach the issue, then that more stuck in my mind than anything else. Um, I remember when I got back to work for the first time and I was dreading coming in and having everyone say to me, oh, you know, 
we heard what happened, really sorry. And the best thing I heard all day was, was one of the guys came up to me and just said, hey, mate, glad to have you back. And then that was it. And I just said, oh, fantastic. And that was sort of wanted to hear, sorry for your loss, glad to have you back and didn't sit there with a sombre look on his face and in a depressed sort of sense. But it is hard. It is hard to broach. My best mate lost his father two weeks ago and we had his funeral two weeks ago. And the only thing that you can really do is I packed up my little boy and went round to his house and just sat with him for two hours. And that was about it. Just be there. Just just connect. Just mm. connect. Exactly right. Mm. It's interesting. I was reading something the other day about cyberbullying uh, and what mm. we can do to stop that. And there's a lot of focus on you know what not to say, how to get people to stop saying rude and nasty and horrible things. But mm. what we sometimes forget is the power of saying nice things. Mm. And I think in this context, you know, you've hit on a really important point. A lot of people are afraid of saying the wrong thing, so they don't say anything at all. They yeah. don't want to stuff it up. But it's not hard to say something nice. It's not hard to say good to see you. And um, yeah. you know, maybe that's a lesson we can all learn, not just with grief, but when anyone's suffering in any way. I was overseas as well with my friend who, Alex, he was like Superman to me. You know, he literally, if he didn't have, he, he had the cape on, it was invisible to everyone else, but I just loved him so much. And he just seemed to nail everything in life. And every time I had a problem, he seemed to come up with the perfect solution that ended up working. And so, and he'd done it for so many years over all my life that I just thought this guy was so awesome. And when I heard he passed, I was in England I was actually about to be a best man at a bloke's wedding. So that was just the worst possible timing for my poor other friend. Mm. But um, I jumped on a plane and I went back and I just, I remember going to the gate of his house knowing that his wife and a few people were going to be there and I just stood by the gate and I sort of opened the gate up and I walked through and it was like a pool area and deck and so forth. And I just saw her making a cup of tea sort of laughing and giggling. Obviously, it's something that one of the other people that she was entertaining was saying. And and she saw me and I saw her and we didn't even speak. It was just she stopped what she did. Everyone stopped. I just wandered around and we just hugged. And I just all I said is I just can't believe it. And she said, I can't believe it. And I don't think we then spoke again. We then went into the... You know, oh, hi, you know, and then you just get on with your life. And we never spoke about it again for about another eight or nine years. I couldn't couldn't get the words out, you know. So sometimes just a gesture, being there, the hug, and like you say, sitting with your mate and just connecting, sometimes that's enough. You don't need to come up with the wonderful words. Absolutely. I think you're both thinking the same thing. You both know what you're thinking and just having each other there is just such a comfort. Mm. Something came up a bit earlier about time and how grief evolves over time and I guess three years on, things are different now to even two years ago, one year ago, or in the midst of it. Interestingly, according to the Australian Psychological Society or the diagnostic systems within psychology, um, you're allowed to grieve for six months and then after six months it becomes abnormal, which is a, a strange thing. It's these, stra- these doctors, they haven't got a clue. <laughs> it's totally arbitrary and there's a lot of controversy about it. But in the textbooks it says grief is normal up to six months and then it becomes a, a disorder, which, which I think is absurd. But what is interesting though is that at some point, when does normal become abnormal? I guess at some point, when is a normal reaction to a, a loss like that? When do we want to start to actually do something and, and you know, maybe try to get on with our lives a bit more positively? Great question. Yeah, six, six, month, six months to grieve is, is a bit of a weird one to me. I mean, I, I, as I said earlier and as we all said earlier, there's no right way to grieve or there's no – everyone's different um, – but I would say it's more, you're always going to grieve. It's always going to be a soft spot. It's always going to be something that might bring you to tears. But um, there's a new normal in your life. You never get over it, but you just learn to live with it is the difference, I would say. Look, I, I find that obviously what happens is you might, 
you might think about it less, maybe. The busier you keep yourself, obviously, the more your mind's occupied, you might think about it less, but it doesn't change the way you feel when you do bring yourself to it. Mm. So I'd say you don't cut it off at six months or you don't give mm. yourself six months to cut it off, but you're, all, you're always going to feel that, but it's just a matter of you learn to live with that doesn't mean you can't be happy again. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy enjoy life. But um, And that's so, what Maddie would want too. She, she'd want you to get on to it as 100%, quick as possible. Yeah. But, hey, you know, um, six months is – No. no it, Next okay. time you go to your doctor's, your super intelligent doctor conferences, can you get up and say, hey, dickhead, who wrote this? Get him to stand up and give him an uppercut. Don't worry. Many people have – criticised or it's a very controversial diagnosis and many people have been very critical of it for a long time. But I do think, again, although that six-month figure is arbitrary, it is an interesting point of discussion Mm. that we all agree it's a normal reaction up until a point, but when do you want to start thinking about it in a different way? And uh, you you mentioned just a bit earlier, Alex, about how you think about it less. I wonder whether it's also about thinking about it differently. So when you think about Maddie now, do you think about her and what happened in a different way to, said, maybe two years ago or three years ago? Yeah, definitely. And that's, yeah, another great point. Um, he's full of them, this doc. Don't yeah, worry about he that. Is. Well, yeah. You're making me think He's not, he's not so good when I he's quoting other do. doctors, but he, <laughs> when, he, when he does his own stuff, he's right on point. Yes. <laughs> um, I think as well, yeah, you do think about it differently. Obviously, you get to that point where you might start to smile about certain things or laugh about certain things instead of that bringing you to tears. And that's part of the evolution of grief as well, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um with Maddie's situation as well, because it was so altering on in terms of physical appearance or personality, you found yourself grieving for two different people. Uh, you, you grieve for the Maddie that, that I grew up with and the Maddie that was up and about, um, you know, so active and so cheeky and always keen to give me a ribbing into <laughs> grieving for someone that was lying in bed and couldn't move for nine mm. months. So you grieve for these two people mm. that, that look different, that behave differently. And at the start, I couldn't differentiate between the Maddie that we'd lost in the bed, in the hospital bed, to the Maddie that she used to be, which is, and after three years, I can, I can do that a lot better. This podcast is called Be A Man, and this episode is Grief. So... It would be remiss of us not to talk about, you know, the fact that men and women would probably grieve differently. I know I certainly grieved differently to my wife when it came to my friend. And how different was it amongst your family between the men and the women? Did the men struggle a little more than the women or can you give us I, an insight in there? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say um, the men struggled more than the women. I'd say... Um, they were probably different. My brother and Nick and I are very similar. Um, and look, we're a product of our environment. We're a very affectionate family, very open. And obviously with that on the flip side, it does make it harder when there's a break in our group or, or our family. Um, look, dad was very different because dad has always put on a bit of a facade and he's the jovial type. If you're at a party, you'd come over and go, geez, your dad's hilarious. And I go, really? You really think that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, okay. Okay. Don't see it myself. You can take him. Um, (laughs) So dad kept that going, but I knew inside he was, you know, it was was killing him because that's his baby daughter. Mum, very, very different to dad, very emotional. Um, It was always on her face and very much still is to this day. But, I, I mean, you talk about being a man and you're grieving. I mean, if anyone told you to man up after you've lost someone like would that be acceptable and if it's not acceptable then why is it acceptable to do do it to yourself look I look at my brother playing football and 
there were times when, when Nick got emotional on the field and, and he was condemned for that. And, you know, is, is that right? I probably don't think so. Definitely not. No. And it's just the way that some people, it's maybe hardwired into them that, you know, we're not allowed to show emotion the same way that maybe women do. And Well, we sort of get permission, like Nick, you know, kicks eight goals and he kicks one after the siren to win it. To have a hug and to have a tear there, everyone gets that in this country. Correct. But to, but to actually stand there, even if he's had a blind or he's had a miserable game or whatever, because people are into him one way or the other. If the opposition, <laughs> you hate the best player of the opposition, or if you're a St Kilda fan, you just want him to do what you know he can do but you know if he's had a bit of a moment thinking about his sister or thinking about just life in general or his mum or whatever then that's unacceptable and that's what we have to change in this country it's Absolutely. it's man up speak up not man up shut up which is what mm-hmm. we went through when in our generation so based on all your experiences putting together all the good and the bad the right and the wrong what would you say to people about the best things to try to do and maybe the things to try not to do in terms of coping with grief Admitting that it's going to be different for different people. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, that, and that's the first one, obviously, understanding it's different for everyone. So don't buy into the thinking that, you know, you're not grieving the right way or your feelings aren't justified. I think that can lead to a, you know, a bit of guilt, a bit of guilt. Um, you know, if you're not feeling a certain way for an hour or you go and talk to a friend and you feel okay to have a laugh for an hour, like you did when you saw your friend's wife and she was having a laugh, mm. you know, that's okay. Don't feel guilty for doing that. I think the most important thing for me was just let someone be there for you. It doesn't necessarily have to be a, a, a family member. It can be a friend, a mate, someone that you know has lost someone as well. Let them be there for you. They don't have to sit there and ask you questions and prod you and you don't have to talk to them either. But just have someone around you that sort of keeps you grounded and just that so you know that you've got someone there to talk to if you wish to and someone there to care for. I read a few books. It's amazing when you read books and you read about people that have lost and you you read a paragraph or a sentence and you just go, shit, that's exactly, that's exactly what I'm thinking or that's exactly how I felt uh, at the time can, can definitely make you feel a little bit less alone as well. Yeah, I think feeling less alone is, keeps on popping up on this podcast uh, so much, Alex, doesn't it, Doc? That if you've got someone that you feel that you can talk to, you know, warts and all, or someone you feel like you're not alone, oh, that's me. You keep having those moments. You go, well, they got through it. Maybe I'm not the only one that feels that way. Then all of a sudden you feel a part of a community that actually is accepting of how you feel. And if that's the case, then you're more likely to be able to bumble your way through it and eventually come out the other side. Exactly right. Another one for me I found, when Maddie passed away, you do find yourself thinking, oh, well, everyone loses someone and so many people have lost someone and, you know, how can I sit here and be so upset about it when it happens to everyone, which is just such a crappy way of thinking. It doesn't make sense. And as you said at the start, it's the most natural thing in the world to death. It's the only constant. It's the only definite. But it's the most unnatural feeling when it happens. Mm. So it sounds like it, 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 I picked up on something. You actually made a mistake before, but I reckon this is actually a great new word that we need to avoid grilt. Yeah. Grief guilt. <laughs> Grief guilt. I, th- I thought grilt. that's where he was going with it. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I think I that's that on uh, purpose. Yeah. It sounds like. All the skills. Um, it, well, definitely what we know from a psychological perspective is it's important to accept those emotions for what they are. And as I said, not try to pretend that you shouldn't have them or they're wrong in some way. These are normal human emotions. And I guess the more, particularly of us men, I suppose, the more we can accept them for what they are, the easier it can become. One of the other things that you've done, which and your family, I suppose, have, have tried to turn this into a positive, I guess, tried to make something constructive, for, for want of a better word, out of it. And how helpful has that been? 
Yeah, absolutely. It's been helpful. Look, it's it's been. Um, I think one thing you try to do when you lose someone is you try to find a bit of purpose. You try and find a why, or you naturally human nature is to justify something like that, which is impossible to do. Creating Maddie Revolt's vision and that legacy is is has been so important to us. But we've just been so lucky, and and I could never underestimate how lucky we've been to have a platform to be able to do that because not everyone does. And you do feel a bit sheepish about that sometimes, to be honest. We know how lucky we are to be able to fight for Madeline, but other people are able to do that as well, you know, with us and especially those families that are now suffering from the same um, complications that Maddie did. They're able to jump on board and they've got hope as well now and know that they're, you know, building towards something that, that hopefully makes a difference. Um, but for us and for myself, it's it's a legacy that we're able to build for Madeline, and I reckon she'll have a bigger legacy than Nick when it's when we finish, which is nice. Um, <laughs> it's got to win a flag, mate. Yeah, got to win a flag. Got to do, now, got to do what your nephew. Well, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, well, your rubbery. nephew went all right. Yeah. <laughs> Alex, an absolute thrill to have you on the Be a Man podcast. Couldn't think of a better man to explain it so openly and so honestly. We appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. So, Doc, why is it important to expect grief? Well, the reality is it's going to happen to all of us. We're going to lose a loved one at some point. Um, I guess the, the, the best, for want of a better phrase, the best situation is when it happens through old age. Um, but you know, even still, that can be sad. That's still a loss. Um, and I guess what we should be thinking about here is not just uh, death, which is inevitable, as we've said, but you know, uh, the end of a relationship or the loss of a job. I mean, these are all different types of loss. And uh, as I said, whether we like it or not, it's going to happen to all of us. So the more we're prepared for that or the more we can think about it in advance, I suppose, um, realise that it's a reality, the better we'll be able to cope. Should there be a checklist there that we sort of look at and go, okay, these are the these sort of the phases, if you like. There's the, the anger, there's the guilt, there's the disappointment, the sadness, whatever it might be. Um, should we sort of have that checklist there available for us to sort of know the process? Uh, look, possibly. The, the, as you've kind of hinted at there, there's a very famous model that uh, that states there's seven, seven stages of grief. But there's a bit of controversy about the scientific validity of that. What, what are things more important, as we touched on in this podcast episode, is that it will be different for different people. But we will all experience a range of emotions. And I think that's the main point, to accept that there'll be a range of emotions, um, that it's okay to feel sad. Of course it's okay. I mean, it's absurd not to think that it's okay. And as long as we can accept that and then think, well, okay, at the same time, you know, what can I do that might help in some way? Or how can I help my friend in some way? Which doesn't mean denying or eliminating those emotions, but working through them as best we can, as quickly as we can, giving ourselves time as well. Um, then that's the sort of approach we could, rather than thinking there's going to be exactly step one, then step two, mm. then step two, because that's, it won't be the same for all of us. Yeah, I suppose it's different to the situation and losing someone young compared, like you say, to a grandparent and also losing a job over losing a person. Oh, look, definitely. Um, and even still, even when we lose a loved one, we will, you know, let's say a parent, I guess one of the more common ones when, when we get to a stage when we lose a parent, you know, brothers and sisters and friends won't react in the same way. And I don't think we should expect they should uh, for all sorts of different reasons. So, you know, that came out a few times in uh, Alex's conversation that uh, we need to grieve in our own ways. We need to take our own time. We need to accept our own emotions. We need to talk and express it in a way that works for us. If this episode caused any concerns, please contact lifeline.org.au or give them a call, 13 11 14.
14. The Be A Man podcast series is presented by me, Gus Warland, and my great mate, Dr. Tim Sharp, produced by the beautiful Liv Proud, and executive producer is Jennifer Goggin. Be A Man is recorded at the studios of Podcast One Australia. For more episodes of Be A Man, head to podcastone.com.au, download the Podcast One app, or look us up on iTunes. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review us.